Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. Hi everybody, Aaron Noonan here. Welcome to the V8 Sleuth Podcast powered by Timken, a world leader in engineered bearings and mechanical power transmission products and services. Now my guest on the podcast this week, this is part two. Part one was really good, part two is very good as well. Our guest is Thomas Mezzera. Now, stay tuned for part two, and yes, I said Mezzera, not Mazira. I'm getting it right. It's only taken me 38 years to get his name right. Uh, part two, lots to talk about with Thomas. We talk about his relationship with Larry Perkins. We talk about his time at the Holden Racing Team. We talk about his time, of course, with Peter Brock that so many people know him for. And in fact, he tells a little story in this podcast about just how uh, his teammate time with Brock has defined him even when he's at the airport checking in his golf clubs these days. Uh, He talks about the time he nearly got a Formula One star that he raced with in the UK to race with him in the Bathurst 1000. He tackles our National Motor Racing Museum couch racer questions and the Motor Focus Top 10 shootout as well. Now, I chatted to Thomas over the phone. He does not do Zoom. He's a phone man. So down the landline uh, on the Monday after the 2020 Super Cheap Auto Bathurst 1000. I think you'll find his insights really engaging, really interesting. He is a fantastic guy with so much to tell. So here we go. Buckle up. Time to start part two of Thomas Mezzera on the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Timken. The year after you'd won Bathurst with Tony, for '89, you didn't. Were you, weren't you going to drive, or you were nominated to drive a class BMW, and then you got the phone yes. call to drive with with Larry and Walkinshaws? Yes, yes. Which was actually one of the ex Brock cars that John Cotter and Peter Dorman, a couple of Correct. Sydney privateers, ran. They won their class that day, but you ended up uh, getting a gig with Larry. Yeah, yeah, because they had uh, they had their drivers hold them. And uh, and Frank Frank signed up bloody AJ at that time as well. Like there was no room with Tony with me for me because it was AJ and Danny and uh, uh, who else was there? Uh, Neville Crichton. Neville, yeah, Crikey, yeah, yeah. And uh, anyway, then uh, then now you, I really had no intention to drive at Bathurst because I was actually. Uh, got an opportunity with Van Schupen, uh towards the end of that year, you know, to drive in a in a thing in a uh, in a Porsche in a sports car in Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I wasn't intended to drive at Bathurst, but then Peter Dolman rang me, you know, and said, "Oh, I got this car. Can you?" you I, I said, "Yeah, yeah." I'll, not Sandan because Sandan was clashing with some my commitments I had in the in UK in some racing, and I said yeah yeah I'll, I'll drive at Bathurst, but then you know there was some shit fight after Sandown with uh, HRT drivers, like Larry wasn't happy. I don't know who was there, but Larry, uh, you know how Larry is. Yeah, fuck you know I'm, I'm not driving with him. You know then uh, anyway then I. Suddenly, I had a call from bloody Tom. We were working at, at Brands Hatch in the racing school, and uh, and then the boy said, oh, TWR on the line. Tom wants to talk to you. And uh, and I, oh, yeah, 
kidding me? Like, you know, anyway, but it was. And uh, I said, oh, you want to drive for us at Bathurst? And, uh, and I said, oh, yeah, 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 it's all right. And, then, uh, and actually, Larry was the one who, who told Tom who he wants because uh, he said, oh, yeah, I followed that bloke last year for, for about 20 laps and, you know, I, I can drive with him, you know. And it's, uh, yeah, and then Larry actually helped me to, to get that drive, yeah. And of course, he was a guy who understood how hard it was in the UK and open wheelers oh, yeah, and trying yeah. to get to that yeah. pathway that you'd been to. So he, I guess he saw a lot of what he'd been through in what you'd been doing. And when did, I guess the other thing was that you, you were doing these enduro drives and you, you drove with Larry for a couple of years, but you were still overseas. You were doing the Japan um, Porsche yeah, program. With that the was Russian in group. 1990, yeah. And 1990 yeah. was a good year because Larry in 89, was contracted by Tom to run the factory cars for the event because it wasn't... Then they established their own Holden Racing team with Wynn Percy, and Larry went back to still doing his own thing. So you yeah. you stayed with him rather than go with them? Was that a case where he said, right, you're sticking with me? Well, uh, you know, like, they, they kind of didn't get on at the end of that year. Oh, they definitely you know, didn't. But because, yeah... Yeah, but I, I I respect Larry, you know, and uh, and Larry is a, is a fantastic bloke. Like lots of people think he's not, but like he's a fantastic bloke. Yeah, he's a top bloke. And uh, after I drove with him in '89, he he sort of said, you know, what you know, I've, I've got a I've got a bit of a deal coming together, yeah, and uh, which kind of never happened. Yeah, it was sort of hook up with Garuda Airlines and Tommy Sahado and all all that shit. Yeah, ah, uh, right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But and and he said, oh, you know, I want you in, you know, in in the plan. Yeah. Then uh, anyway, then uh, it sort of kind of nothing happened. Yeah, and at the same time, Creno was talking to me about the long distance races for a, you know, for a following year and all that. And then, you know, Larry, I'm still in England, you know, and then Larry gets on a, on a phone and I said, mate, this thing just, you know, it just fell apart. It's not going to happen with Garuda and Sahado, you know, because they got bloody, you know, change of government there or something. They got done for corruption and something like that in there in Indonesia. Then uh, anyway, then Larry said, ah, you know, whatever they offer you, I'll give you more. You know, I love and, your Larry uh, impression, by the way. It's very yeah, good. yeah, and and I kind of thought, oh shit, you know, I, I had to pick up the phone and uh, you know and run Crano, and I said, John, I'll, I'm staying with Larry. Then uh, because at the same time, Larry could offer one more race, which was the Eastern Creek. You know, the when they which worked uh, out the well. first race, yeah, first Enduro at Eastern Creek. Yep. Then uh, then I had Bathurst, I had Sandown, Bathurst, and uh, Eastern Creek. And HRT, they were saying, oh, we give you Sandown and Bathurst. And I, and I was kind of telling John, like, uh, I said, John, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in a full-time drive, you know. And, uh, oh, no, that's not possible because, you know, Win Percy and Tom and all that, like, it's it's not going to happen. I said, yeah, okay, I'll stay with Larry. And, and then I thought I'd bloody shut my door completely on myself through there, yeah, because they had Bradley and they had Neil. And, uh, you know, and they were quite politically correct with everything. And, uh, yeah, then I thought, oh, you know, and I stayed with Larry and it was good. And, uh, 
And bloody Larry and I should have won it in 1990 at Bathurst. You know, we we should have won that race. And uh, we just got screwed up in a, you know, in a pit with a safety car. But uh, anyway, that's another story. But then we went out and, and won the Eastern Creek. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, actually, you know, Larry, Larry was the one, like, a year later, he actually rang Holden and put the word for me at Holden, then, uh, which, you know, was pretty good, pretty good of him. So for you to join HRT, which you, did, which you did for 1992, so he was the one who said, hey, give the guy the go. Yeah, he, yeah. he said, sorry, mate, I'll, I'm, I can't offer you anything at the moment, but he went out of his way. And he ran hold in because, like, when I, you remember, he, he, he bloody ran the team for Brock mm-hmm. in the 91. Mo- the mobile cars in 91, yep. Correct, yeah. And I drove with him and Mideki drove with Brock. Yep. And, uh, you know, both cars shit itself or something anyway. But while the cars were running, he, he actually, you know, I, I was, uh, I, I was quickest out of the four blokes. And he picked up the phone and, and rang Holden and said, yeah, like, you know, this blokes was actually better than all of us, you know. And uh, and that kind of got me a drive. Like, you know, he was very good, very good, Larry. So and you, uh, but the thing and is- he was the one, Larry was the one as well that rang Van Schupen and introduced me to Van Schupen. And that's a little bit that we've probably just quickly skipped over, but you did do when you were in those Porsches, and they're the 962, you know, sports prototypes. They were fast cars. Oh, yeah. You, that's you drove definitely, the, definitely the fastest thing I've ever driven. Yeah. Yeah. And you drove Le Mans as well, probably the fastest yeah, place yeah, you've ever ni- driven. 1990 Le Mans. You know, we got it as high as fourth, and then we shit the turbo, and we lost about 40 minutes in a pit changing the turbo. Yeah, and finished fifteenth. Yeah, but the best result in Japan, I think, we finished fourth in uh, in uh, Mount Fuji. So, by, case. by this stage, obviously, the the Formula One dream has is not going to happen. But you're at a nah. point, but but you're you're at a point where you've, I guess, have you got yourself to the point at this stage where if I can become a professional racing driver, I'm getting paid to drive cars in Australia or Japan or wherever it is. I don't really care. I'm making a nice life and I'm enjoying it and I'm, I'm cool with it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, beats beats any other job, you know. Like, y- you do still what you like to do and uh, and you're getting paid for it. Yeah, then uh, that was pretty good. And considering considering where I kind of came from and the background I had and, you know, didn't know anyone in here and all that, and then you sort of get offered to drive for a bloody Holden racing team, you know, with a reasonable money on it. Like, you know, I, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. How did you feel, uh, something I didn't really ask you before, uh, and it really interests me, how did you feel welcomed to the country? Um, how did you learn English? Uh, how, how did you feel, uh, just that we live in times where, um, the world probably feels more divided in various elements, whether it's racism or it's sexism or it's all sorts of anything that ends in ism. Uh, how did you find coming to Australia and how were you treated and how 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 did you, I guess, integrate and, and how did you learn the ways of the land, such as at the point that you end up becoming the, 
the driver for, in essence, well, not the nation's team, but you know what I mean. Holden is a very strong brand with history in Australia that this guy from Czechoslovakia ends up in this dig, in this gig. Oh, mate, you know, I always keep saying the best country in the world, you know, the best country in the world. And uh, it's uh, like, you know, going back to my English, like, Jesus, I couldn't speak bloody English. I was here for three years. You know, I was uh, working in a panel shop, you know, the, you know, they most foreigners there. It was a bloke from Uruguay, you know, then uh, he couldn't speak either. The bloke who owned it, he was Czech. We were talking Czech. Then, uh, yeah, on a garbage run, you can imagine the bloody, what I land on a garbage run <laughs> with the blokes. And, uh, yeah, and then uh, at some stage I had a Czech girlfriend and I, I was in that Czech community in Sydney and I was there three years and I, you know, I, I start to understand a little bit, but like uh, I only learn English from watching TV, you know, watching Westerns on TV. I always like Westerns. And, uh, and uh, anyway, like, I, you know, I, I was supposed to go to, to English classes, which I started, like every refugee gets that opportunity, you know, and uh, unfortunately at the same time, I, I picked up that job washing dishes. Then I, couldn't attend a couple of times. Then I went there, like after missing two bloody two days or all that. And then uh, that's oh no, piss off, you know. Like uh, it's, uh, you either <laughs> do it seriously or not. But more important for me was making money than you, you, you had a race car learning to go and, English. Yeah. <laughs> you had a race car to raise some money to go and buy. That was more important. Yeah, correct. Yeah, correct. So you get this opportunity with HRT for for 1992, which is all looking and sounding fantastic, but then you barely go racing. Uh, yeah, like it's it's just, a, you know, same as anything, you know, it's, it's just a matter of timing. And uh, and I can tell you, like those days, like, you know, the HRT were going through the bloody tough times. And uh, and you had, uh, you had such well-organized teams like Freddie Gibson, you know, and... Uh, and Glenn Seaton was sort of reasonably organized as well. And uh, and then, then it was a little bit of a, you know, political, you know, and uh, shit fight at the HRT. And uh, it kind of, the timing wasn't right, but like, uh, you know, uh, for me, like it was fantastic. You know, I, I can't choose, you know, I couldn't choose. You, you take what you get, what, what's given to you. And uh, it's... Uh, you know, it was definitely different than uh, to five years later. You know, when I uh, when I was leaving, when I got the arts. You know, like it, it, it was it was better better organized team then, and uh, and even better when bloody Scafi went there. You know, like it was uh, they were right on top of their game. You know, they got managed to get all the good people pinched from uh, from Gibsons and all that and. Uh, yeah, suddenly it became, you know, well-functional team. But uh, in those early days, you know, it it was uh, it was tough. It was tough, but uh, you know, it's just, just just part of the deal. You know, you just just take what what's given to you. For, for a time there too, Thomas, you became the the team manager. Uh, Neil Lowe left, and that's a, probably another story for another day. But you were the driver slash manager, and I, I'm really wondering that. 
did you feel like you were equipped at the time with the, the leadership skills and the things you needed to do that role? And I guess what you learn in that role, you would apply to what you do now where you, you're you running Porsche's drive program and you, you manage a lot of people and a lot of personalities and things. How much of what you would apply in your, your day-to-day world these days did you learn in that situation where you were put in that position? Well, you know, the... the the thing was, the thing was, like uh, Neil went to bloody England and did a deal in there with Tom and uh, and Wayne Gardner, you know, or we bring Wayne Gardner and, uh, you know, bring the team to glory and, uh, and, uh, and I run DJR and they won everything in the Sierras and now got the trick. But kind of it didn't work, you know, like it was just... Uh, too much bullshit, too much guessing, and at the end of the year, at the end of the like four months, you know, all, all, all the budget's been spent, and uh, you know we gone nowhere. Then uh, it's uh, you know Creno made some bloody decisions, and uh, and Creno came to me and and said, like we've got no money, we cannot bloody employ a manager. It's not working with Neil. You know we had to let him go. And, uh, you know, can you do that? And, uh, and I said, well, you know, I don't know if I can't do, can do it or can't do it. I'll have a go at it. And, uh, one thing I did, I, I got, uh, I got Ron Harrop involved in the team a little, you know, because under Neil, you know, lots of good people left because they couldn't work with him either, you know, like Wally Story, who was there for a long time. Then, uh, Wally went. Yeah. Then, uh, and suddenly, you know, it, it was quite hard, but, you know, Ronnie, Ronnie kind of came in and, uh, and, and just, you know, went back to basics and we kind of, you know, settled the team a little bit. And, uh, and I, I reckon with the arrival of Ronnie, you know, it just got a little bit of stability and, uh, and, uh, yeah. And I, I think it was sort of on the way up. Yeah, and we managed to get some some results towards the end of that year. Yeah, one of the things yeah. that I remember vividly in that early year, I think it was '93, the Sandown 500, where it was decided you had a, an oily windscreen. So yeah, let, yeah. let's put the bucket yeah. of water over the wind over the pit wall to wash it, and that'll fix it. Well, I think you got away with it, didn't you, once or twice, and then the next nah. time it. Bang. Well, the 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 idea was the idea was because. I, I had a bit of a spray washer. Yeah, I had a water in a spray washer. Yeah. The idea was just to chuck a little cup, little cup of detergent on a screen. Yeah. When yeah, I'm driving bars. That's only small. Yeah. Then uh, just trying. And, and the first, uh, you know, it kind of, you know, I said, yeah, yeah, it's better. Then uh, I come around on a second lap and I can see Davey McDavid bucket. And I said, oh, sh-, you know, like I, <laughs> I swore I managed to put my, I always wear the full face helmet and I managed to put my visor down yeah, just before he chucked it on. I knew it's going to go through the windscreen, you know, and, uh, but you can't dodge it. Like it's all too late. And then, yeah, just gone bloody through the windscreen. I'm lucky I didn't get, put the visor down and didn't get the bloody splinters of glass in the eye and all that. And, yeah, that was that was funny. Yeah, I think that was ninety two. I think ninety three. Yeah. 
was 93. 93, yeah. was it? And then, of course... Oh, yeah, 93, yeah. Under the rules, if you lost your front window, you had to come in and get the rear one And push the rear so, one up. So, yeah, the, one yeah. of those crazy things. But then um, things changed. Uh, Peter Brock arrived, mobile money arrived, and the team went, you know, the, the curve was going up. You helped, as you said, Ron Harrop got involved. Jeff yeah. Gretsch, by that stage, had become the team manager. And the, the Holden Racing team that had been spluttering and bumping and farting its way along and not really achieving anything, was suddenly starting to get a bit of momentum and the curve was was starting to go up. You've talked a lot, I know, about Brock. You've been asked a, a lot about him over the years, but I always got the impression you guys got along pretty well as as, as guys rather than just as race drivers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, the, the arrival of Brocky, like, you know what the relationship was with Brock and the whole thing, isn't it? Like, they, they had a big bust up and all that, but, like, I tell you what, there was no one more sort of recognized in the country, and still now, you know, as Peter Brock. Like, it's just unbelievable what a, you know, what a pool Peter Brock had. Like, you can have the best engineers from Holden, yeah, telling customers about something, and then bloody Brock stands up and tells something. Who do you think people believe? Yeah. And, he he was unbelievable, you know, and and it kind of uh, suddenly it, it it brought brought that kind of a prestige to HRT and uh, and the, the, the HRT sort of with Brock, like with arrival of Brock, yeah, it was you know it was you know it was great, like it was definitely what had to happen because uh, they were struggling with money and. Uh, and Brock tried to run his own team with the with the mobile money, but you know the the mobile wanted to support him, but they they were not happy the way he runs the team and all that. And kind of they all came together, and uh, and it, it it was the the only option for for Brock, and only option for for Holden, even if that relationship has been broken in past, if you know what I mean. Mm, yeah, mm. and uh, yeah, no, it it was. You know, it was fantastic. You know, that that was something, something that uh, that Holden needed. Yeah, the HRT. Yeah. You talked earlier about 1990 with Larry as a Bathurst that got away because of the the scenario at the time when the safety car was on the track, the pits were closed, and your car was stuck yeah. in the pit lane behind the the bunting. The other one that springs to mind for me is '94, and everyone remembers the. Craig Lowndes, John Bauer fight for the lead in the in the last laps, and Craig, the rookie, passing him without meaning to and leading some laps and not quite getting there for the win and, and John and Dick Johnson winning the race. But if you rewind it back on the tape to, I guess it's, what, 30-odd laps to go, your car with Peter at the wheel was third and had more fuel on board than the other two and caused the safety car when he crashed that le- allowed them to get home. So yeah, is yeah, that correct, the one that you yeah. look at and go, that's the one we should have won? Everyone's got a, oh, well, a tail, but everyone's got a, well, a bunch was, of years. But that's that the one. That was bloody, you know, that was Brocky's 10th Bathurst that kind of got away, you know, because, like, uh, it was a strange race because it was raining or something as well, and then suddenly everyone was on a little bit of a different strategy. But uh, I, I think it was, you know, like, 120 or something and uh and I'm I'm in a lead by about 20 seconds yeah and uh we all know everyone needs to make a stop yeah dig behind us 
and our third car with uh, with Bradley and Lanzi, you know, we all had to make uh, two stops. Yeah. Well, they had to make two stops because they because of the rain they didn't have enough enough uh, petrol to go to lap hundred and thirty or hundred and twenty eight. Well, we did. We had enough fuel. Yeah, because. I stayed, I think, on a slicks through the bloody wet part of the track, and I, I drove to a number to get the number of laps, make sure we don't need an extra stop. But they kind of stopped or something. Then uh, it worked out at the end. Anyway, I, I was leading 120 20 seconds, yeah, 20 seconds lead. Came into a pit, filled it up, broke, jump in the car, and... Uh, and we know we can make it to the end with the fuel, but the other two cars they they only they only can make it to lap one hundred and fifty five. They can't make it any further. And uh, Brock rejoins, and Brock's about twenty seconds behind them. With both of them had to make a stop, and like he just need to keep it on a track. But he decided to chase them. You know, like he was bloody trying to catch up, get close to them. And uh, unfortunately, you know, no one sort of thought, well, you know, just relax, relax, you know, we got it, yeah. And uh, anyway, I, I went to have a shower. I said, oh, geez, that's, you know, that's great. Like, we, we pulled this one, we get it. And uh, anyway, then, uh, Jesus, I never, never forget Bradley's smile on his face when I came out of the shower. He said, guess what, guess what? Brock smashed it up on top of the mountain. I said, are you kidding me? And uh, Yeah, and uh, it was such a mess. It bloody took the bloody truck to pick it up. You know, they, they did six laps under the safety car and they saved enough fuel to, to go back without uh, without refueling. Yeah, and at the end, Big won it and, uh, and Bradley and Lance came second. Yeah. Everyone's got and, a tale uh, of, of what could have been at Bathurst, don't they? But oh, yeah, one. but like everyone's got story about yeah. a race like that. But it was a shame for Brocky. Yeah, then uh, because that was the, I think, the last time he he came to some, you know, to to do it because like he was he was already running out of uh, out of time. Yeah, then uh, it's uh, he, he was sort of getting on. Yeah. Mm. He was in his fifties, yeah, you know, he and, was. Uh, yeah, and yeah. he did extremely well, you know, to get to that age, yeah, and still being reasonably competitive, yeah. Like he wasn't what he was in the thirties. I unfortunately I never bloody met him when he was in his prime, but yeah, I, I would love to see him in his prime because uh, he, you know, those days like uh, in a in a Toranas and all, like he was unbelievable, yeah. And uh, and even in mid eighties when he was with Larry in a in a Commodores, you know, he was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. amazing that no one could have ever predicted that the Australian, you know, superstar Holland driver um, who was winning all those Bathursts uh, with a kid who at the time was still in Czechoslovakia would end up teaming up at Bathurst. Who would have ever thought? Oh, uh, yeah, one of those yeah. strange things. So um, ninety five went wrong. The engine failed early, and famously he steps out. Uh, conveniently early and lets you be the guy in it when it's finally uh, deemed a, a DNF, uh, which he had an amazing uh, yeah, ability well, to do. Well, you know, like it's the the bloke of his statue, you know, like 
sometimes people start believing in their own bullshit, you know, like, you know, it can't do anything wrong and all that. But like, uh, yeah, he just, you know, that was Brock. Brock was Brock, you know, then uh, he just, uh, yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't like to say like, oh, yeah, yeah, the car's, you know, bug it. Yeah. And, and happened while I was driving. Yeah. Rather, rather hand it over to me and, and get me to find out. Yeah, and, uh, it's uh, it was funny, yeah, because he came into pits about bloody five or six laps earlier before the scheduled stop. I wasn't even ready. You know, oh yeah, the car's perfect. Yeah, it was bloody lit up like like Christmas tree. The dashboard, because every fucking warning light was on. Yeah, oh, yeah, I swore, didn't I? Uh, that's okay. We can deal with it. We can deal with it. That's all right. That's yeah. all right. Yeah, but no, but you know, he was unbelievable. Like it's. Uh, as I said, like everywhere we went with Brock, like yeah, it, 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 it's just hard to explain how recognized he was. Yeah, and for me, you know, for me he was he was Peter. You know, like just uh, because I I wasn't here when he's you know had that fame and all that. Like it's uh, yeah, I, I saw the bit of it. Like he was pretty good then. But when we drove together, like you know, he was just he was Peter, yeah. But for uh, but for lots of people around, like he he was God, yeah. And yeah. you know, whatever he said, even if it was the biggest bullshit about the car, you know, people believed him, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, he was unbelievable, unbelievable. And you know, there be no one else, you know. Like they keep saying Lanzi, you know, like it's sort of a that stage. Nah, no, nah, not anywhere near it. Not anywhere near it. There's yeah. only one. There's only one. Yeah, it is the only one, and there never will be another one. No, yeah. No. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. And it was a kind of good experience, you know, for me, like in a way, because uh, I kind of got more known and recognized because I drove with Brock. Yeah. You know, like lots of people these days, I go to bloody check my bloody golf clubs in at the airport. They're going to play, and the bloke behind, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, Thomas and Brock, you know, you drive together and all that. Like, And this is, you know, 30 years later nearly, <laughs> yeah, or 25 years. And, uh, yeah, it just gave, gave me that little bit of a recognition, yeah. But, uh, yeah, but we're going on, you know, we're going well together. Like, it's no, you know, but, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm kind of straightforward, you know. Like, when he screwed up, I told him. But lots of people never told him that. You know, they keep dancing around him and all that. And I said, you know, like he said, he said when he lost that day, he said, oh, Thomas, you know, like it was like somebody pulled a magic carpet underneath me. And I said, Peter, like you were five meters offline in the previous corner already. You know, you fell asleep, you know. Then uh, anyway, different story. But uh, yeah, I'll, you know. He he always was expecting people tell him what he want to hear, but with me I was always you know same as talking to you anyone else you know like for me it was Peter yeah and we had good times good laughs and all that and uh, and I can tell you I never forget that bloody day when I got a when I got a call that uh, I never forget it I was on a on a tent hall on a golf course here at Randall I got a phone call and uh, and. Uh, and then on the other hand said, oh, you know, what? I just heard Peter Brock died. I said, oh, bullshit, you know. 
not possible. Then, oh, yeah, he killed himself in a bloody Western Australia in a rally. And uh, I just got a call from a bloke who was first on scene. I said, bullshit. Anyway, I'll, I'll ring Crano immediately. You know, I said, hey, John, what's... Uh, oh, no, no, we would have heard. Yeah. Well, 10 minutes later, Crenon rings me back and I said, yeah, no, it's true. Like, he's dead. Mm. Yeah. It was the saddest day because you always sort of see him smiling and, you know, and, uh, yeah. Then, uh, no, very sad day. Very sad day. Yeah. I think it's one of those, uh, Moments that anyone who follows motor racing in Australia will remember where they were or who rang them or where oh. and how they found out the news as you you did that day on the golf course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Thomas, the, the HRT chapter for you ended in, in 95. You got a, a call to say that, sorry, there's a the kid lounge is going to take your seat. How, how was that delivered to you? Was it a, a call, I guess, from Creno? Uh, what, how did that all unfold? Oh well, you know the the Lanzi was Lanzi was pretty good. Like, uh, and it goes back a couple of years before then when Hawk started in there. You know, like Hawk came from Larry, Jeff was at Gibson's, and then yep. it was Larry and Gibson's, and then came there. And uh, anyway, then Lanzi was doing all right in the Formula Ford, and uh, and it was Hawk and I like we actually because I always watch Formula Ford, yeah, always, because that's where I came from. And, uh, and my philosophy is, like, if you can win in Formula Ford, you can win in any other category, just giving a chance to get comfortable in a, in a car, yeah? Then, uh, anyway, it was Hogan and I, like, we sat down and, uh, and we went to Crano, and I said, John, like, this kid's pretty good. And uh, how about when we go testing, you know, we take him with us and put him in a car and, uh, and uh, like you know, he's gonna be good one day, and uh, and that's how it started. And he, he done plenty of test, you know, test miles, with, test miles with us when we were driving and all that. And uh, and he was getting better and better. And uh, in in '94, like he he did a, well, he did good at Bathurst. Like he fuck, you know, he he made a big mistake on top of the mountain when he bloody. Had a big lose. Luckily, didn't hit anything. Flat spotted all the tires. And it wasn't on TV either, so he got away with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Flat spotted all the tires. They lost the lap. And it was actually Bradley. Mm. You know, Bradley was the one who dragged the car from lap down. Yeah. And I think Bradley did the double stint just to drag the car, you know, to where it was. And then it handed to Lanzi to 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 last stint. Everyone forgets Bradley, and everyone was I think Lanzi was a hero. But Bradley was the one, actually, who, you know, who got it up there uh, mm. until Craig nearly threw it away. Mm. But, you know, it was pretty obvious, like, you know, give him more more time, like, he, he, he'd be pretty good. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it was sort of unfortunate that uh, year after, you know, I, I was the one that kind of had to go. Like, I stayed on for the long distance races and all that. And... Uh, and I always was telling Crano, like, you know, would have been better if Peter decides to call it a day and I, and I stay. But, like, you know, it, uh, sometimes the, you know, the commercial, commercial situation wouldn't allow it. And, uh, and I knew it, it wasn't possible. And, and Lanzi was pretty good. Like, and I always keep saying, yeah, I lost the drive, but I didn't lose it to Wood Duck. You know, <laughs> like the, the bloke was good. Yeah. Yeah. And he proved it. Yeah. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. 
Simply type in your rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search rego, the number two, and oil and find out. You mentioned that... Which you did. You you went back and did the Enduros the following year, co-driving again with Peter, and then you decided to go um, away from HRT, and and you ended up with John Trimble in a Bottle Magic Privateer car. Now, everyone remembers that big crash at the chase, and I want you to tell us about that, but how did you come to connect with, with John? Um, some Whoever ran the car for John, who was involved... Uh, Ah, uh, Mike, Mike, someone. Anyway, Mike, he, Mike Freeman. Mike Freeman, yeah, yep. yeah, Mike Freeman. And uh, you know, he he sort of uh, he sort of approached me and he said that uh, you know John wants to go racing. He wants to spend a bit of money. He wants to get a car. He wants someone to help him a little bit with the driving. And uh, you know, he enjoys it. He wants to have a team. How about? You know, you come up with us, and uh, and you do you do some races, and he'll do some races, and then you drive together in in the long races. And uh, anyway, then uh, I kind of you know look at the situation, and then I said, yeah, yeah, well, you know, why not? You know, it's a bit of a challenge. Then uh, then I did it. You know, I nearly bloody because of that decision, I nearly got killed. Yeah. And what happened in that crash in in '97 at the chase? You ended up, you were Fabian Coulthard long before Fabian Coulthard ended up in a, a sand trap on his head down. There. Yeah, well, it's a bloody long story, you know. It's a long story, but it, give me the short just, version then. It just comes to a uh, tires, as you know. The most important thing on a car is the tires, yeah, to yep. go fast. And uh, in those days, they were tires for the top runners. And they were tires for uh, also runs and privateers. You never, you never got the same tire what Dick Johnson got. You never got the, you know, same tire what Alan Grice or, or Gibson got from Yokohama. You never got the same tire what Brock had in Bridgestone from Bridgestone. You know, you always get the bloody some leftovers. And uh, anyway, the the Dunlop did some testing with the new tire. Which they brought few few sets and uh, and Dick did the testing and they find out the tires keep delaminating. Then uh, anyway, then uh, obviously they didn't choose that tire, but with few of them in the stock and you know they sold it to us. And what happened? You know the tire delaminated and uh, and ripped the brake line off and I nearly bloody killed myself. Yeah, that's what happened. Huge one, massive shot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you have any injuries out of that? I don't remember you being no. injured, but you no, got I had a bit unscathed. Of a, I had a bit of a bloody headache, but uh, yeah, I was all right. I walked away. I was very lucky. Yeah, very lucky. And uh, mind you, I kind of when I, you know, when I saw I'm in trouble, you know, that's exactly what I tried to do. You know, I tried to spin the car and roll it in the sand and uh, trying to absorb the energy and. Uh, because I couldn't arrow it into a sand trap, would have cleared the sand trap and hit bloody, you know, earth bank or concrete wall there at the end head on. You know, that, you know, I, I did what I had to do. And I'm, uh, I'm very happy I, I managed to do that. Yeah. Was that the biggest shunt of your career by a long way? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I had few. I had few, but that one was the biggest one. 
so after that bottle magic period where you, you end up on your head at Bathurst, you ended up doing your own team, building your own car. Um, was that a case of you wanting to take your own destiny into your own hands or what was the scenario when you when you went down that path? Oh, well, I, I was kind of getting on, yeah. I was getting on and, and the idea, idea was trying to set up the team and uh, trying to get it off the ground and then get some young kid to drive it and, you know, with me running it. Similar like what Bradley did, you know, like, and, uh, yeah, but it's just, uh, I, I had a good relationship, you know, with Holden still, and uh, and I had a, you know, reasonable help with Holden as well. But, uh, you know, I, I never had the, the background and, uh, you know, and the money behind me to sort of do it. Yeah, like it, it was possible to be done if the people would have done what they said they will do. But uh, it kind of, you know, for whatever reason, you know, the the people that were involved, they sort of couldn't do what they said they would do. Are we and, talking uh, sponsor-wise? Or? Correct, yeah. Yeah, right, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, we battled with Derek, you know, Derek Waldhelm, and, and like, you know, it's... Uh, He's pretty, you know, pretty good bloke, and uh, and uh, you know, very thorough and all that, and uh, and we, you know, we tried and tried and tried, and uh, then had a few setbacks when bloody, you know, I didn't have the money to put a triple plate clutch in the car. We put a double plate clutch, and I burned the clutch on the line and at Budhurst, and uh, and that was the year that Alan Menu came and, and co-drove with you. Correct. Which by, yeah, which by that yeah, stage, like, he was he was a big deal. He was the British Touring Car Champ the year before, and. A lot of people thought, oh, my God, how does Thomas get this guy to drive his privateer car? Well, you knew him from years ago. Yeah, well, well I, I, I talked to Eddie. Eddie was going to come up, but Ferrari wouldn't let him. <laughs> you know, like Eddie was dead set was going to do it, and he actually came to Bathurst he one did, year as year. well. Well, it was that year he actually was yeah, there. Was, yeah, yeah, but the Ferrari wouldn't let him drive it. You know, and I told him, like, it's a shitbox. Like, it's not a bloody winning car, but, like, you know. It would help me, you know, it would help me to sort of attract people and, and get it off the ground what I wanted to do. And uh, then, you know, Eddie couldn't do it. Then I rang Alain and Alain said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do it, mate. Like, you know, and, uh, and uh, yeah. Mates, yeah. Did he do mates rates for you? Because at that stage, I'm sure he called for a big, big salary from Williams for, for Renault Super Touring. Um, mate, like he, he, he did it for a bloody holiday and a, Hamilton Island, you know, with his missus, you know, then uh, it never really got bloody cash, you know. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, it's a good bloke, you know, like it's sort of, it was different years back. Yeah, it was a bit different, yeah. I remember too, though, that a lot of people probably forget, but the midway in that 98 year, which was the first year that you, you ran your own car, and that was the year that Alain came and drove with you at Bathurst, you, you leased Chris Smurden's privateer car to get you started, and I think you won the privateer race at Phillip Island, and it looks so strange because you're on the, the podium with, I guess, Ingle and Lowndes and those guys in your old HRT suit, and then you, yeah, went, and drove, yeah. you went and drove for Fred Gibson for a few rounds to, to try to help them with their, their wins cars because they had a couple yeah, of young, young drivers. With Gary Dumbrell, yeah. Gary Dumbrell, yeah. Yeah, Gary was running the team. Like, oh, Freddie was running it, but it was Gary's, uh, Gary's deal, yeah. 
yeah. Yeah, then, you kind of jump in a sort of few things and uh yeah. And then I I went back to to Holden for yeah. another two years. Yeah. Hey yeah. so you you drove with Bradley Bridie. With Bridie. But before that you drove with Bradley for a year in his Aussie mail car. Uh, that's correct. Yeah. That's yeah. Correct. So, so yeah, at that yeah, stage yeah. you were still running your own car, but it was better and easier to go and drive with Bradley for the Enduros and then HRT came knocking and I guess at that point you just went, Well, I it's it's not gonna work for me running my car. I'll I'll park that up and, and take the deals. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I tried, but I just couldn't do it. As I said, if the people would have done what they said they're going to do, it was possible. But, you know, pretty soon you find out, like, it's, uh, you know, obviously they had their own reason that they couldn't do it. But, uh, yeah, anyway, I kind of had a go and uh, didn't work out. And, uh, yeah, but I forgot about bloody driving with Bradley, yeah. And uh, he seized the wheel bearing on the last lap. We didn't finish. Came into the pits on the last lap and not classified. Do you remember that? Yeah. Like running fourth. In the wet. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And then you were with Jason Bright for a couple of years, finished third in 02. 01, he got wiped out at the chase, I think, by Simon Wills. Yeah. Um, But you'd come full circle. You were back at at HRT and I I guess – but I think you also did some other races. I think Mike Emery's car you drove along the way as well. Yes. So you were still a a guy that was – you know, the phone was still ringing, which was great. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It still was sort of a few little things, you know, and, uh, yeah. When did you decide, I think you did your last, you went back and drove for Larry because you drove with Paul Dumbrell one year and in uh, with Anthony Tratt in the toll car, which was a Perkins run car in 04. And then yeah. you, was that then when you decided, right, I've had a good run, it's it's time to stop? Uh, well, I knew when I was, when I was with HRT with Bridie, yeah, I uh, I looked at I looked at his data going over the top of the mountain. In the old days, we didn't have a data, you know. It's all on a bloody field. I looked at his data, and I said, "Shit, I don't want to go that fast. I can't. <laughs> I can't." You know. Then uh, and then that and then the next year, I still driving with him, and I, we we came on a podium. We finished on a. We came third, yeah. And uh, but that year. I remember I'm sort of still doing the lap times I need to do in a race, yeah? But I'm getting out of the pit, and then the boys go on the radio, and uh, and they said, okay, front bar position to rear bar position four, rear brake bars, you know, a couple of turns to back, reset the fuel, and I get on the bloody radio and say, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute, I'm too busy. I'm too busy driving, <laughs> you know? And then suddenly you realize what used to be very automatic in past, you just can't do without, you know, taking the, the focus from driving. Then, uh, And that's what I'm saying. Like, you get over 40, you go, you go in the mid-40s. I think I was about 44 or something. And, uh, you know, it's like someone turns the switch off, you know? <laughs> you, you suddenly can't do what you what was automatic, what you used to do. Mm. And then you say, well, you know, it's, it's time to bloody, you know, put it away. Like, there were a few exceptions, like Brock, he could keep it to 50 before he, before he deteriorated. You know, Jimmy Richards, he made it, you know, in the early 50s. He still was bloody, yeah. But then, you know, it left him as well. Then, uh, But, you know, that's why I keep saying, you go, you go over 40s and that's it. You know, like you, 
you kind of uh, live from the experience you've got, but uh, you know you haven't got what it takes to be at the level you know you'd like to be. Mm. Everyone gets to that point. It gets you some. Oh, exactly. Somewhere. But lots of people kidding themselves, and they don't bloody uh, you know admit that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember too that you. Uh, at a time I, I was involved with the Porsche Carrera Cup and you were the first driving standards advisor for that series at the time that Colin Bond was doing V8s. You ended up doing the, the role in in the V8 championship as well. But your your relationship with Porsche, which still runs to this day because, of course, you, you look after the, the, the Porsche driving school and all those programs. Of course, this year's been a, a tough, rough year for everybody involved in, in that line of work. But was that where the Porsche relationship for you started, when you started that Carrera Cup role back when the championship began in 03? Uh, no, not really. Like it's, uh, It was back in, uh, in 90, 96 or 97 when I... Uh, when I had a mobile sponsorship, I had a personal deal with mobile and, uh, and mobile, they were always, you know, tied up with Porsche as a lubricant, you know, for many, many years. Mm. And, uh, and they were, they were doing a corporate day, you know, at the Porsche center, uh, you know, in here at Mount Cotton in, in those days. And they asked me if I can come up and give people a hot laps in a Porsche. And, uh, and I did that, and uh, and ever since, you know, I kind of started working there now and then, yeah. And then uh, about seven years later, I'll, I took over that and, and been running it, you know, since, you know. Now I'm sharing it with Lukey. I'm trying to get Lukey involved. I'm getting too old. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. I'm getting we... too grumpy. I'm getting too grumpy when I work six <laughs> days in a row. I need I need Lukey to. To give me the break. You, you, yeah. need, you need your golfing time, don't you? We, we talked to Luke on the podcast earlier in the year, and I, I could tell, and I know he's worked with you very closely for a while now, and I could tell, and I reckon some of our listeners could, because there were some Thomasisms in Luke that came through in the way he speaks that clearly he is picking up a lot from you, not just uh, how, yeah. how to run the Porsche programs. He's talking like you as well. Yeah, hopefully not the bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mentioned it before, the, the driving standards role, and you, you did it with supercars for, for quite some time. Did you? In, it's kind of one of those roles where you never keep anybody happy. There'll always be someone pissed with you for a, you know, something that went wrong on the track that they don't agree with a penalty or, or anything like that. But I remember that you, I mean, and you are like this. You don't suffer fools. You, you call it how you see it. Uh, did you enjoy that role? Is that the right way to describe it? Or did you, did you feel oh, you had yeah, everyone's no, respect? No. No, it, it 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 was good, you know. It it was good, and uh, like you know what I've always said, I I would be watching at home on TV. I may as well watch it here on a monitor, you know. And uh, and now and then just have an argument. And uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, it was sort of good to sort of see these uh, these young blokes coming up. Like you know, the Wing Cup was one of them because uh, you know I. Like when I know he, he fucked up on a weekend, but like you know when he was at his height, I remember we went to Bahrain or Abu Dhabi or something, and uh, and the bloke never been on a track before and all that, and they go out for a first practice session, and you look at the timing, and like the bloke's two seconds quicker than everyone else on on his first flying lap, and it's only about the second second of the best best lap they achieved all weekend you know like uh, it 
just amazing to see blokes like that with such talent, yeah, and uh, and you kind of see it firsthand. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And uh, I I remember when came Waters came to Bathurst on a first scene. You know, like it was my job to bloody talk to him, make sure he doesn't take anyone off, and keeps watching his mirrors and all that. And uh, and you know he, he kept it all together most of the times and all that and then uh, it's sort of good to see where they now or oh, Shane mm. like Jesus I, I rip into Shane yeah and uh, I remember uh, it was in New Zealand and Hamilton yeah I, I remember after that when Dave Stewart came to me after that and uh, and thanked me you know he said well we can't bloody talk to him he won't take it you know from us but you know he'll remember it from you <laughs> yeah, then, uh, and it's just good to see those blokes doing so well now. Yeah, did you appro- that- did you approach that role, Thomas? As a, um, I'm here to talk to the guys. I'm here to help where I can, so as they don't make the mistakes that end up seeing us get involved in race control. Uh, or did you feel like no, 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 I'm I'm over here. I'm doing my thing. You do your thing, and we'll we'll just do what we do. Oh well, you know, you don't want you don't want any any dramas to start with, yeah? And uh, unfortunately, there were some people those days, you know, in a field, they uh, they wanted dramas because they believed the dramas, that's what made a good racing. And, uh, and uh, you know, my philosophy is a bit different on it, you know, like uh, good racing is, for example, we saw on a weekend, this weekend, yeah? And not bloody pushing people off the road, not giving them room and all that. But uh, some people with a, quite a big bit of influence those days, they had a different idea. And, uh, and it was bloody hard. It was hard to deal with them. Yeah. Like Bedo's got a much easier job now. I, I was going to say. Because those blokes not driving. <laughs> You've paved the way for anyone who ends up uh, in that chair in the, in the years that follow. Um, we've got a couple of questions from some fans that I want to run through very quickly. But before I do, um, you talked at the very start about skiing and tennis. But the yeah. thing that takes your time up and that you are really damn good at is golf. Where did the golf passion come from? And, and a lot of our listeners might not know quite the level that you've played to, but where did the golf start to come into the, the scene for you? Uh, it's, uh, it kind of started started in England, yeah, because uh, a whole bunch of us worked at the school, at the racing school at Brands Hedge, and... Uh, yeah, didn't operate every day. And uh, on some days off, like, oh, yeah, let's go do clay pigeon shooting. Let's go go-karting. And uh, and then one day, say, oh, yeah, let's go play golf. And I said, oh, bugger off golf. Like, you know, we're not old enough. You know, <laughs> you know, it's for old people. No, 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 just come, you know, come on. You, you enjoy it and all that. And and it was like, you know, a bunch of us. And Anyway, and then we go to a public golf course and we queue up there and hire the gear and pay two pounds for a round. And, uh, and about 150 shots later and, a, and a six hours later, <laughs> losing 20 balls, I, I got hooked on it. I thought, Jesus, you know, I hit a one good shot out of 150. I said, Jesus, that was satisfying. And uh, anyway, I, I kind of got hooked on it from that. And, uh, and then when I was sort of still racing, I said, geez, you know, like I'll try to get better at this. And when I'm stop racing, when I'm over 50, 
I tried to get on a, you know, PGA Seniors Tour. And uh, anyway, then I was kind of chipping away and getting better, getting better, getting better. And then uh, then I thought, oh, yeah, okay, well, I'll try my luck. And uh, and went through the two school, which was 10 years ago, or even more than 10 years ago. And, uh, and kind of, you know, remember the the days when I was getting my breaks, you need to make most out of the break. And uh and I just you know, I said in, I just put three rounds together. Like on my last round I shot four under. Four or five under. Five under I think I shot on my last round. And I I qualify for a PGA too. I finished second behind Krishna Singh, you know, Vijay's brother, who was playing golf all his life. Mm. Then uh I said, geez, you know, like, that's great. And, uh, you know, it, it's some, you know, it's a bit of a, you know, comp- you know, I'm a competitive person, you know, and I, I, I was competing in something all my life. And uh, once you get to this age, you, you still can do it reasonably, yeah, be reasonably competitive. And I absolutely love it. And I just regret I, I never started earlier. Or I never had bloody any lessons earlier. I was always too mean, you know, to spend money to have lessons. <laughs> I just gripped it and whacked it. And, uh, <laughs> anyway, but then I, uh, I managed to manage to finish five years in a row in a in a top sixty on an order of merit in a, you know, in Australasia here. Yeah, and uh, and I'm exempt now. Well, I, I can, I'm a you know, exempt uh, for a tour for the rest of my life. And uh, and I love it. I enjoy it. Yeah, I, I just, yeah, I wish I would have started earlier because it's a great satisfaction. You know, it's like uh, going going through bloody maxillami just uh, with a little brush on the brakes. It's like, you know, hitting a ball in the middle, you know, with a driver and, and hitting at 240 meters. And same satisfaction. Yeah. It doesn't happen very often, you know, but, but you try to achieve something. Yeah. But when it does, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, it's good. And uh, and I can tell you, like, uh, you play you play against blokes. They I used to watch on TV, you know, playing golf. Like, if I get a chance to be drawn with bloody Mike Harwood and Peter Senior and Wayne Grady, like, it's a great experience, you know, to have a round with them and, and to watch them, you know, doing the business and and you try to bloody keep up with them fantastic yeah great challenge and i always you know saying to people they sort of play golf and they're serious about it like yeah you should should have a go at this because anyone you know if you get yourself down to you know two handicap or something or better then you can take that chance and pay the money and go through the two school and try to get on and uh and it's a it's a great, great sort of yeah great hobby. It's great. And if you play well, it pays for the expenses. Even you know? better. And, uh, Even better. You can uh, you can make a little little bit of money if you play well. Then uh, and uh, yeah, you meet new people. I made you know got great mates there, which I you know never knew before. And uh, fantastic, I love it. Absolutely love it. But unfortunately. You know, the bloody climate we in this year, you know, basically all the tour got cancelled. Like, it's nothing. You know, nothing happened. Hopefully, we'll be back to normal next year and uh, can keep pressing on. 
Yeah, fingers crossed. Not only just yeah. for the, the golfing side of things, but for the, the Porsche driving stuff, which I know like so many manufacturers who do drive days and customer experiences who've been just smashed by it because borders have been closed, people can't travel, things have had to be closed down. Um, we're fingers crossed that all of that stuff yeah. can be back up and running and you can be banging around in Porsches and uh, and swinging that golf club again and uh, getting on that uh, that tour and uh, using that, uh, yeah. that that entry that you've got. Um, before we go, mate, I've we open it up to our uh, our followers who have sent in a few questions for our um, the National Motor Racing Museum at Mount Panorama, who are fantastic people. They've been closed over the Bathurst One Thousand weekend during uh, the great race due to the COVID situation, but they are back open now. So uh, for all of our listeners who are going to be in the area, by all means, pop in and and see them and ha- have a wander around some of the great cars that are on display. But this is our National Motor Racing Museum Couch Racer questions, Thomas. So we've got some fans who've sent in a couple of questions, and I'll quickly fire through them. Um, yeah. Adam Hudson asks, and I'm not sure, I don't know about this, he said he read that when your VT Commodore, that's the Densitron car, uh, was under construction, you had an offer from a team to drive and they would finish the build uh, he's asking what team was it and what made you turn it down. I don't remember that, but was that a thing? No, yeah, I, 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 uh, yeah, from Dumbrell. Ah, right, Gibson's. Yeah, 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 yeah. He he wanted me to drive with bloody with Merv or or with Richo, whoever that was, and uh, and I yeah, I, I turned it back, I turned it down, and then they end up winning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think they got Richo instead of you know, then uh, or vice versa. I don't know who they got one or the was. other. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, one or the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. That's right. true. Yeah, yeah, huh. yeah. Not I, a smart decision I made. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you leased your car to them to get them going, didn't you, for a, a round or Correct. two? For, for yeah, rooms. yeah. I think yeah, Richo, Richo yeah. actually, Richo drove it at the Grand Prix. That's right. Yeah, because they didn't have their car ready or something. Yeah, that's right. Okay, uh, I didn't oh, remember yeah, that. Oh yeah, completely, that's completely yeah. forgotten about it. Completely yeah. forgotten about uh, it. Bathurst win that yeah. could have been. You never know. You never know. Uh, yeah. uh, Jeff Bishop. Next question: What was the nine six two Porsche like to drive? Oh, it, it was just unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Like the, it's uh, you know the first time I drove it was in a in a testing at Snetterton. And uh, I just could not believe it. I just could not believe it. Yeah. And uh, and a Snetterton is, uh, you know, not a sort of, you know, big track, quite narrow and all that. And uh, and uh, but then driving driving the car in a place like Suzuka, it, it, it's just something else. But yeah, I, I'm absolutely unbelievable. I uh, actually ran in Suzuka. He he. He gave me qualifying tires once. I went out in practice on qualifying tires, and uh, and it was just something unbelievable. Yeah, and you you sort of go through the corner and you say, oh, "Shit, you know, I could have gone much quicker," you know, and all that. And, uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, and I can tell you that year I've done you know lots of long distance races. I, I did about five races in that, in uh, including the twenty four hour. At Le Mans, and then I did sort of three long distance races in here. But I can tell you, it was so easy jumping from that car into a Commodore. <laughs> it was like everything in a slow motion in a Commodore. Because I remember I did, uh, 
I did sand down, then I flew to Fuji and uh, and did Fuji, 1,000 case Fuji, and came back for, to drive at Bathurst. And, uh, yeah, it was so much easier going from that into Commodore instead of other way around. Yeah. And, uh, Slightly different cars, just a little bit. Oh, man, it, it's just <laughs> unbelievable. Like, the car never stops accelerating. Yeah, was, am- yeah. Amazing, amazing Too cars. fast for me. <laughs> Too fast for me. Yeah. I'm sure you held your own. I'm sure you did fine. Yeah. Uh, Jeff's question about the Porsche is, I've given that one our Castrol question of the week, which is, of course, thanks to Castrol, and Castrol is more than just oil. It's liquid engineering because they provide the oils, the fluids, and lubricants for today and the future for every driver, every rider, and every industry. And you can follow Castrol on Facebook to stay across the, the latest in motorsport exclusive competitions and much, much more. Uh, Andrew Robson's got the next question. Uh, what's your thoughts, Thomas, on the current supercar series? Ah, oh, mate, they just watching it last weekend uh, or yesterday. It it's just fantastic. It's just fantastic, and uh, I still can't believe that uh, Holden is no Holden. You know, it just disappeared, mm. and uh, they definitely, you know, there's been a lots of talk about oh we don't need manufacturers and all that but bullshit you know like the the category like that needs the manufacturers involvement and uh, let's hope they get uh, general motors excited about it and and let's hope some other manufacturers come in because like without the manufacturers it's just a club racing yeah and uh, needs the manufacturers for that prestige and uh, the job the V8 supercars did over the weekend, like me watching the Bathurst, like, uh, Jesus, if if two or three new manufacturers don't jump on board, they're they missing out. I tell you what, that it was just, yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Are you excited by the, the news that the, the GM will continue? There's going to be a Camaro that AAA yeah, are going absolutely. to be involved in. You, you feel it's absolutely. mega important? Absolutely, because they need manufacturers. You know, for the prestige of the category, need manufacturer involvement. It cannot do it without manufacturers. Yeah. And, you know, more than they get, the better. Can you see anyone coming in? Can you, can you I foresee? I hope so. Yeah. I, I, you know, I was, you hearing a bit of talk about I and I or Kia or BMWs and, yeah, well, I, I hope, I hope they will, you know, like it's, uh, you know, it'll be fantastic if they can somehow attract, you know, the biggest manufacturer in the world, which is Toyota. Mm. You know, if if the Toyota cam, comes in, it'll be a, you know, it it would make it definitely the the world's best tin top, you know, category in the world. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they should bloody work much harder trying to get Toyota in. Finding a way to lure Toyota in is always yeah, uh, yeah. a thing that just yeah. about everybody's tried to do. Uh, Danny Damoni uh, has got a question. He's a long-time listener of our podcast and follows what we do, and he is a big HRT fan. What's your favourite HRT memory from your time at the team? Oh, probably when uh, when John Lindell, John Lindell rang me from Holden and said, I just came off meeting with Walking Show and, and John Crannon and, and you got to drive for the next year. That's probably the, you know, something you never forget. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then, you know, they were lots of good stuff on the track, like lots of, you know, I, I reckon maybe the pole position, pole position at, uh, at Grand Prix in Adelaide on a long track. Mm-hmm. 
yep. in I don't know what year it was. I think it was ninety three. Was it? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I could see I, I was going all right. Then I look at the bloody timesheet, you know, because you can see the uh, from a car on a on a TV on a big screen or something. Somewhere there was a display, and I could see that bloody scathing of me off. And uh, you know, I came in and uh, and uh, you know, I was only had one more lap to go to the boys wreck the tires on it and I I had to bloody go pretty fast on a on an outlet to make it cross the line to to still get a lap in. And uh you know, the boys were saying that Scafey already pulled in and celebrated in a in a pit lane, but uh, I knock him off on a on my last lap and uh, that 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 was some moments you never forget. Yeah. Knocking off Scafe for Paul when he thinks he's got it. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, yeah. The good fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Before yeah. we finish up too, mate, um, the last thing I want to do, and we do it with all of our guests, is um, a top 10 shootout. It's the Motor Focus top 10 shootout because Motor Focus is one of our partners. Uh, they are a home of quality scale models up your way. They're in Queensland. They've got all the big brands, many more. Uh, go to their website, motorfocus.com.au. They're at Unit 9, number one Stockwell Place in Archerfield, Queensland. Um Basically, Thomas, this is word association. I'm going to name a couple of things and people and stuff. You give me the first word that comes into your head, okay? Can't, can't go yeah. wrong. Can't go wrong, okay? Yeah. Uh, if it's too hard to um, describe someone in one word, if it takes two or three or four, that's okay. Yeah. Right? Larry Perkins, what's the word that springs to mind? Oh, uh, absolutely smashing bloke. Top bloke. Top bloke. There you go. Two words. That's pretty good. Uh, Bathurst. Uh, unique. Mm, I like it. Ford Sierra. Uh, undrivable. <laughs> and I got to say, you can only you can't repeat an answer. There, there, there's you can't repeat. It's not fair. Yeah. Uh, Craig Lowndes. Uh, most talented uh, kid. Not a wood duck, according to what you said. No, earlier not too. a wood duck. I already <laughs> said that. Yeah. Yeah, I'll put that one. That'd be better. Not a wood duck. Not a yeah. wood duck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, John Crennan. Uh, fair bloke to me, always. Wayne Gardner. Uh, again, Wayne is different for other people. Different for me. Like with me, okay. Outside, bit arrogant. We could say okay. If he's okay with you, then he's okay. Um, yeah. Uh, Eddie Irvine. Eddie. You know, uh, lots of respect. He he was quick, quick. I would say. Mark Scaife. Uh little arrogant. <laughs> That's two words. He used to be. He's changed now. He's yeah. is he calmed his farm a little bit? You reckon? Yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, oh, Tony Longhurst. Uh Flamboyant. Mm-hmm. I think I know the answer to this last one. Maserati by Turbo. Oh, shitbox. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought we'd get one in there before we got to the end of the top 10 shootout, and there was a shitbox in there. I'd be worried if there wasn't. Um, Thomas, I really appreciate your time. We've, we've chewed up a lot of it today. Um, We've covered a lot of ground. There's probably a lot of other things that people are saying, why didn't you ask him about this? And you can talk about that, which I'm sure we could till um, the sun goes down because there's so many things to talk about. Yours is an amazing story, and I don't think sometimes you understand just how amazing it is, but I hope that 
uh, our listeners have got a bit further of an insight into not just your motor racing, but your your upbringing and, and how you came to be here. And uh, it's it's an amazing story. And I really do reckon, mate, Jimmy Richards is right. I've been banging on to him about doing a book, but him banging on to you about you doing a book. I'm going to join him and we're going to keep on uh, going after you, mate, because I don't know if it's a book or a movie or a documentary or something. It's an amazing story and I think a lot more people need well, to hear it. It's pretty cool. I, I don't think that people are really interested on what bloody Thomas Mazura thinks or, you know, well, what he you, says. Uh, no, 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 no. I, I think you underestimate the people and I think your journey is an, an incredible story that you, where you started and where you got to and where you are now, uh, the most unlikely story that I think anyone could have probably predicted. So uh, I think there's something in it, mate. I think you undersell yourself a, a fair way short. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, good talk to you. Absolutely, mate. My pleasure. Thank you again. Cheers, mate. There you go. Part two of Thomas Mesera on the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Timkin. And I think you could probably tell in my voice through pretty much all of it, I loved that chat. I've been waiting to chat to Thomas for ages for this podcast and he certainly delivered. And you know what? I don't think he even knew that he delivered. He was just telling it plain and straight as Thomas always does. Uh, When I finished the recorder, he did say to me, you know, we've been doing two and a half hours of chat here. I could be playing golf. And I reckon that's exactly where he went once we finished that phone call. But a huge thank you again to Thomas for his time. I got a lot lot out of it. I think our listeners will have got a lot out of it. It was a really great chat. So thank you again, Thomas, for your time. Of course, to our listeners, thank you for supporting the V8 Salute Podcast powered by Timkin. Tell all your mates, give us feedback through uh, wherever you listen via whatever app. You can, of course, send us an email via our website, v8salute.com.au, or you can get in touch with us through any of our social platforms with Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Sign up for our newsletter through our v8salute.com.au website as well. You'll get the latest news articles on our site. You'll also get uh, knowledge of upcoming products, whether it's prints or books or DVDs, perfect gifts for Christmas and, of course, for birthdays, Father's Day next year, Mother's Day, all sorts of stuff. Keep on coming back to V8 Sleuth. It is the place to be. Anyway, we're done. Part two. Love that chat. Uh, The V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Timkin is your place for motorsport digitally. Next time on the next episode, we chat to one of the all-time greats of Australian touring car racing. We'll see you then. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online. Thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number 2, and oil and find out.